0: Welcome to We Are I am Brenton, joined as always by Danielle.
1: That's me. Hello, everybody.
0: Thanks for joining us this week as we count up the IMDb's best movies of all time and discuss some of the greatest films you mightn't ever have seen. This week, rated as number 16 on the Internet Movie Database by millions of film lovers from around the world is The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Released in 2002, starring Ian McKellen and Elijah Wood, Andy Serkis and all the others, The Lord of the Rings The Two Towers is an epic fantasy film that serves as the second of three parts of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. The movie is, I believe, only temporarily at number 16 because of Avengers Endgame um, just coming out recently, but this will go down to its rightful place at 15 in the coming weeks. The film is the sequel to the movie that's based on the book that was the sequel to The Hobbit, all written by J.R.R. Tolkien. The film is written, produced, and directed by Peter Jackson. If any of that is too confusing, please go and listen to episode 7 on part 3, The Return of the King, as that's the first one that we reviewed in the list, and um, we give our impressions on the trilogy as a whole and Tolkien's work, and we make an argument as to why this... Lord of the Rings trilogy is the best movie trilogy ever made, and I highly recommend giving that a listen if you haven't already. If you're still not satisfied, um, please go listen to episode 11 on part 1, The Fellowship of the Ring, because we also do a bit of a non-spoiler section on that as well. Um, So we pretty much cover everything, that uh, Lord of the Rings in general, in those two episodes. So I'd be very surprised if anyone listening to this hasn't listened to at least one of those, or... Knows any of the spoilers with it, so um, we're not going to do a spoiler, or spoiler-free version on Two Towers. Uh, if you want those, go see episode seven and eleven.
1: I still hold my opinion that this trilogy as an entity was the best, like, work of cinematic filmmaking.
0: It was such an achievement.
1: Is twelve hours of cinematic film, but at the same time, remember that it is one entity, and to have that continuity of character development and flow and quality i stand by my opinion that it is as a 12 hour entity it's the best movie ever made
0: i really do think that this is such an accomplishment in filmmaking and we do break that down a little bit more in the return of the king episode the first um 20 minutes or so we're looking at that
1: how did this movie open? Cuz I wrote down what a great opening scene. And I remember saying the there opening and watching
0: scene it. was uh Gandalf falling and him chasing the Balrog.
1: Right. What a great way. Like you've been hyped up waiting for this movie to come out and then it comes out and you're like, "Holy crap, we're right in it." Like no messing around, you know what I mean? Well,
0: definitely because you you were very sure after The Fellowship of the Ring ended that Gandalf died. That's it. That's the end of it. And um, this is even played off as a dream sequence, almost. Um, But it shows you a bit of a glimpse as to what happened to Gandalf afterwards. It's Mm -hmm. completely ridiculous. Like, the whole scene is, like, so silly that he catches up with this massive Balrog. He catches his sword, um, falls for, like, ages and doesn't die. It's all a bit ridiculous, but it is a really cool visual shot to open.
1: Yeah, like, as an opening sequence, it's like, whoa. It's like in Star Wars, if you started off with like a space battle you know what i mean like if you started with that yeah a lot most
0: movies usually do that yeah they just start with a big opening and then um then it calms down a bit after that i think this movie um it starts really fast like it's just hits like note after note it's like bang 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 and you can get a bit lost and confused because there's like these dead soldiers um there's a lot of dead orcs there's a lot of like battle scenes there's like a scene with all these villages fleeing where they're like ransacking these 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 villages um there's a few characters in there you're like where is this person there's a few like brutal like soldiers villages that saruman like hires to go burn down the villages and you're like who who are these people you know because they're not his normal orcs um and it just briefs over that a bit
1: well and because frodo and sam are separated and mary and pippin are separated from like Legolas and Aragorn and Gimli, like you've got three groups, so it bounces around between them, and you'll sit there and you'll be like, "I haven't seen Frodo in like forty minutes. What the heck? What's yeah. going on?" You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, then it cuts to the the King of Rohan and his decrepit state. You haven't seen him yeah. before, and all of a sudden you're like, "Oh, who is this character? Obviously, he's someone of importance. He's sitting at a throne." There's his Riders of Rohan. They um they killed all the orcs that were the ones that have meant to have taken uh, Merry and Pippin. And they mm-hmm. didn't show that battle at all. The last time that we saw Merry and Pippin, we he was about to get stood on by a horse. And the very next scene, Aragorn catches up with the riders and they're like, yeah, we just burned all the corpses. We just killed them all through the night. And it's they, like, can, they, you, can you show that?
1: They ran away into the into the trees. They, they eventually they showed... showed
0: a flashback, but I'm just saying like, it, it cuts and it's a- very fast. Eww. It doesn't show That's right. the riders killing it. Yeah. I'm just saying like, the first... Half an hour of this movie is just cut, 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 cut. It's a bunch of introducing a new people and new groups and new settings. And it can be a little confusing, especially if it's been a while since you've seen Fellowship yeah. of the Ring.
1: like it's all necessary, and which is why this is a bridging movie. Because most of the time, the second in a trilogy can't stand alone. And this one, like it does an okay job of standing alone, but if you haven't seen the first one, you won't understand a lot of what's going on.
0: I can see what you mean by the second one can't really stand alone, but there are exceptions, like we did um, Empire Strikes Back the other week, the Dark Knight Mm -hmm. trilogy, the second one's definitely the best, Um, but I I do think that they are exceptions, they are rarities, I guess.
1: Yes, generally speaking, and like I said, this one does do a pretty good job, but you're just missing key details that enhance your movie-watching experience if you don't see the first one, so...
0: Well, especially when we spoke about this, it's more of a part than a sequel. It's a part two. So it'd be silly. It's it's like watching the second half of a movie instead of watching the first.
1: I would like to talk about Gollum if we could, and I don't think this is This
0: is the first time you actually see that character. Which is interesting because they were went out of their way to try to not show it off in the first movie. Mm-hmm. You see sort of just a silhouette or a creature in the distance. Um, there's one scene where you see his eyes glowing in the dark and they don't show Gollum. And yeah. then as soon as this movie sort of starts, it's like, bam, here he is. Um, and then he's there for the rest of the series.
1: I wanted to make a note. So this is the second time we've watched this, second time I've watched this. And it took me until probably the middle of this movie to realize... Who his two sides were. I didn't realize that Gollum and Smeagol were really two separate personalities.
0: Yeah, that's what I would count their, their personalities as. Smeagol as the original Hobbit.
1: I thought Smeagol became Gollum. And then they were like just calling him Smeagol because that's who he used to be. I didn't realize that Smeagol was very much still a part of him. Just as Gollum had become a part of him.
0: You know I feel I mean? like he di- he didn't realize that Smeagol was still a part of him, and it comes out and gets more strong towards the end of these series. Um, yeah. So I don't think he ha- he was Smeagol for a very long time. Um, I think he even believed that Smeagol turned into Golem rather than a- as an addition. Does that make any sense?
1: It does, but at the same time it doesn't because he always refers to himself as we, so he knows that both are there. Yeah, Okay. And I never understood until halfway through this movie. That I'm like, oh, because I'm like, why is he calling us we? Is he just crazy? I didn't realize that he was two personalities yeah. coexisting. He is. He's like two alters of the same person. It coexisting together. And those scenes, like it's in the next one when he has this monologue, isn't it? No, he had one in this one. Sorry. He, had, he
0: had one in this where it, it cuts the shot back and forth. It really looks like two characters are talking with each other.
1: And I never understood what that was about until I understood that he's literally fighting with himself. I mean, I knew that, but I didn't, I thought he was like possessed. I didn't know if it was like the ring or Sauron talking through him, which basically I guess it is.
0: Well, the ring corrupted him, but I wouldn't say it's Sauron talking through him.
1: No, it's his, it's his corrupted version of himself. I didn't pick up on that and clue into that until this watching of the movie. So I kind of just wanted to talk about that cuz I thought it was really interesting and it really added to those scenes for me.
0: Just on those scenes, like Andy Serkis is such a good actor in this character, oh, so isn't he? Good. Like we we had a bit of a segment in Return of the King, I believe it was, where we we talked about Andy Serkis and his performance for this, but I just mm. think he's brilliant.
1: And they didn't like do anything to his voice, did they?
0: I, they might have, but he can do it pretty well. Even today, after years of doubt doing the character, he can put on the Gollum voice pretty well. I think out of all three of them, I like this one the least. I think Two Towers is probably my least favorite, with Return of the King being the most.
1: Mm-hmm. I really don't consider these three movies as three movies. I really, yeah, don't. yeah. But I like
0: to. I'd like to think which part do I enjoy the most?
1: Yeah. Because I think of them as just flowings on of the same entity, there's parts that I like of all of them and parts that I don't like of all of them.
0: Another example of a sequel or the middle part of a trilogy that's really good or arguably better than the first is the Godfather movies. Mm. The only two sequels that have ever got one best picture at the Oscars is Godfather Part 2 and Return of the King. The thing about Two Towers is, is that I think it it is a little bit more ridiculous. Like, there are definitely things in the first and the third part, Um, But this one asks you to swallow a fair bit. Like, particularly that scene at the beginning with Gandalf falling. There was um, Aragorn tracking the hobbits. That whole process is probably outlined better in the book. But it's, it's a bit crazy, especially after that fire where they'd burnt all of them. And he's just like, oh, I can see exactly what happened here. There was a struggle. And it's like, yeah, bullshit they trampled all of these things in battle and then they rounded up all the bodies and burnt them um there's a lot of stuff that happens at helms deep the way that legolas gets on that horse in that scene where
1: yeah um, there's
0: a- it's like what are you doing
1: just physically speaking like we know there's a lot that goes on in this that can't happen in real life but physics still applies in a lot of these situations and this movie in particular it's like that's not how a lever works you know what i mean like that's not yeah how with that the ladders i hadn't even
0: noticed yeah. that um the way that they're putting the ladders up, that's literally impossible.
1: Now that I think about it, there's a lot, actually. There's a lot.
0: I just feel like it asks you to swallow a lot more of that than the other two parts. Yeah. Well, even Gandalf showing up in the forest as the white wizard now, mm-hmm. the last time we saw him, if the dream sequence was real, was him crashing into the center of the earth with with the Balrog, um, and then he shows up in the forest. Like, even mm-hmm. if... How the hell did you get there? Why were you there? Just happens to be there at the exact same time. Like, none of that's explained.
1: I think he wizarded himself there.
0: He wizarded. That's cheap. Yeah. Another thing um, about him wizarding is how does he get around so quick? Because even in the first one, one of the opening scenes is he's trying to figure out whether or not the ring that uh, Bilbo has is the ring. Um, so he goes over to Minas Tirith and he goes into the library and does a lot of research and then he goes back to Hobbiton.
1: Just pops over.
0: Yeah, like, just for the weekend. It's like, um, you've established how far away these things are and how grand that trip is. How are you able to do that? Don't just say, oh, you wizarded, oh, use the eagles. That's because that's, like, come on. Yeah. He I could've. feel like that was added in for the movie because I think in the book, Gandalf knows. I haven't read the book, I don't know. I just feel like it, it's... Slightly more ridiculous than the other ones. I think I enjoy it the least. It's probably because there's so many things happening in different places all over Middle Earth because the characters are split up, but I feel like the story is the most all over the place. Not just uh, physically in locations, but it's hard to see these characters and where they're interacting. It's more cut all over the place, and it's harder well, to follow than the other ones.
1: And I think, too, part of that is the nature of the beast in that this is a movie, In a book, you can get away with that a little bit more. And to ring true to the story, you have to follow it somewhat to a T. So, I mean, I give them a little bit of leeway there because, I mean, all of this was necessary. You know, all of the setting things up for Return of the King that had to be done in this movie, it was necessary. And I do want to say, too, this was vastly entertaining. Like, the fact that it's probably our least favorite of the three... I still really enjoy this, you know? Oh, I do
0: too. That's why I said I really it's like, like Helm's Deep.
1: If the other two are like a 9.1 and a 9, this is an 8.9. You know what I mean?
0: Well, um, it's interesting that even in this discussion, I've, I've been thinking about which ones I enjoy the most, but it's very much reflected in the IMDb listings, right? You've got Return of the King at number 7, Fellowship at 11, Two Towers at 15 or 16, however you, which week you look at it. Um, mm. But it's very much in that order, and they're not too far behind. There's only four titles yeah. in between Fellowship of the Ring and Two Towers. So that's very much how I feel about it. It's like, yes, it's slightly better, but not by much.
1: Well, and I think that really speaks volumes about... The series. The series and the quality, because the only two series that are so close together like that are The Godfather and The Lord of the Rings. You know, And we spoke
0: about that in the discussion um, about the trilogies in The Return of the King. Uh, there's not many other trilogies that are up there. We spoke about Star Wars as well because all three of those are in the top 100. Mm-hmm. But apart from that, those those are the only ones. It's a very good series.
1: It's a very even good series. with its flaws. There's so much going on in this movie that I don't really know what to talk about specifically because it really is all over the place. It and is. again, because it's a bridger, you're like, did that happen in this one or the first one or the yeah. last one? So I kind of just want to talk about some themes. So the steward of Gondor asks Boromir to go to that meeting that Elrond called in Rivendell because he wanted him to bring the ring back as a weapon for Gondor to become great again. Right? He said, you need to so bring So the steward this- wanted the ring. He wanted the ring to bring glory to Gondor. And he says specifically to Boromir, he's like- you are not just any man, you're stronger and it won't corrupt you. And I just remember sitting there thinking, I'm like, there is no one who this ring won't corrupt. It even corrupted Frodo. Like Frodo wouldn't have destroyed the ring if Sam hadn't been there. And even then, the only reason it did get destroyed is because Gollum tried to steal it from him and they were fighting over it and fell into the volcano.
0: Well, it's interesting that Sam didn't get corrupted at all. I wonder why that is, like I because know he, he didn't touch it, yeah- yes, well, even Gandalf was frightened to touch it because he didn't know his own temptations. he was exactly. he didn't want to touch it at all,
1: so I'm just thinking, like, how ignorant can you be about the power of this thing? It just really showed the greed of men and the ignorance of men because they think that that they can handle it, and it's like you realize that nobody can handle this, yeah. I don't remember who said it, but they said the ring will give whoever has it the power to destroy the world of men because Sauron wanted it and he was doing it for Sauron. And it made even more sense that statement, having the knowledge now that the wizards aren't just powerful men, because upon first watch, I didn't realize that the wizards were angelic. They aren't men. So that made a little bit more sense. And this series almost needs two watches. Or to read the books first to fully appreciate it. Because you need to watch it and figure out who all the characters are. And then you need to go learn about the lore. There's
0: a lot of background And then come back.
1: Lore. Yeah. And I mean, if you're into that, which I certainly am because I'm a fantasy fanatic. But I was just saying, like, this viewing made a lot more sense to me of the whole trilogy. Because
0: this is the second time you've seen this one through. Yeah. And you've done a little bit of more research in between watchings. We said in the Fellowship of the Ring episode, you asked me, why, why does Aragorn live for so long? Because he's like yeah. 87 or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said, oh, I'm pretty sure they explained it in the second one. So we'll, we'll just wait and watch that. And now after watching it, they do bring it up and say that he is old. Is it Erowyn?
1: Erowyn, yeah.
0: She, she's like, oh, you're one of the... She says, you're one of the Dunedain. Mm-hmm. And that's not explained anymore. She's just like, oh, you know, you're one of these people that live really long. And that's it. Because obviously you can't fit in all the background and lore of this this world. It's just like so in-depth. Mm-hmm. Um, so I looked it up as to what does that even mean. Mm-hmm. And there's like a whole family tree. There's races through the ages. And he wrote so much history in all of this. It's like ridiculous.
1: So what's the deal?
0: Yeah, because she says that you're one of the Dunedain blessed with long life. So I looked it up, and the average man would be from 150 to 200 years old. And some of the, the older people, or the kings, can be from 240 to 270 years old. Okay. So I looked up, what does that actually mean? And it says, oh, well, the Dunedain are descendants of the um, Numenoreans, okay. I believe is pronounced. Uh, and they, the average person lasted from 300 to 350 years while the kings and the elders there would go from 400 to 500 years old. Which okay. seems, it's again, like, I'm like, okay, so what does that mean? Are they Where, like who, are, part, who are they descendants of?
1: Are they part Elvish or something?
0: Maybe. I feel like far, far enough back that they were sort of Elvish and uh, immortal. And it seems like each generation, their lives are getting shorter. And then come to the present day, you've got people whose average lifespan is like 85 or whatever, right? It sounds like in Tolkien's law, the more centuries that go by, the shorter life of man are. I don't know why that is or what he was trying to say there, but that's what it seems like. Because Aragorn is one of the last living people of the the previous era. Okay. And before that, they lived even longer, and before that, they lived even longer, and now average humans uh, don't live very long at all. So Mm -hmm. he's special. I don't I don't really understand that, and that's not explained. Um, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this understand it more than me, um, I if you remember know
1: the law. when hearing that he was so much older and that he would live for a lot longer, I'm just like, man, Arwen really picked a good one, didn't she? <laughs> because- Yeah, pick
0: the one guy that can live longer than everyone else. And he's a king.
1: Yeah. I mean, sure, she's already fallen in love with him and would probably love him anyway, but, like, 70 years is like a blink in the life of an elf.
0: Yeah, and then she- she gave up her immortality for him
1: but the point is like, they're going to live a long time. Yeah, it's a lot
0: of those things where they're just like, we probably just don't have the time to explain this, Mm. but it's not clear as to why exactly he lives longer. They're just like, yeah, he lives longer.
1: It is easier to swallow, though, knowing that you're like, "Eh, stuff's all different in this fantasy world, so it's one of those things that you can kind of take and just go with it.
0: I was just going to note, how short do you reckon these series would be if they were just shot in real time? But the amount of scenes that are just purely in slow motion is a bit ridiculous. There's a whole scene where uh, Gandalf whistles for his horse, and it runs from the other side of the field all the way up until it's touching Gandalf's hand completely in slow motion. It's just like, okay, you can yeah, take your finger off the magical. slow-mo button now. Like, even the Ents, when they destroy the dam, that whole dam sequence is in slow motion. Like, the water is just falling and flowing well, I in watch such a magical that, way.
1: And then at the same time, though... The water was falling slowly, but the ants were moving in real time, which is slow, but they were still moving faster than the water. I'm like, there's no way he'd get out of the way in time. It's
0: because they're CG, they could just make it look like... Whatever. Yeah, they can do whatever they want.
1: I would like to talk about whether or not Harry Potter rips off Lord of the Rings. Because I think we started to talk about that, but we really sit- We're saving that conversation for this episode so that we could have... A comprehensive view, watch through all three movies, pick out every little detail that could have similarity, of which there are many I might add, and then talk about it.
0: Because you're quite the fan of Harry Potter and now you've As seen are this, you. th- this Yeah. You've seen through this series twice now. And the first time you're watching it, you said to yourself, Harry Potter really ripped off quite a lot from this series. Um and in the episode on Return of the King, we did do a comparison between Dumbledore and Gandalf, which is probably the easiest one to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and people have reached out to J.K. Rowling and said, yeah, a lot, these, uh, a lot of these are the same sort of things. You're hitting here, the same characters and the same themes. And she said, yeah, it's all superficial.
1: That's what I was going to add is that on a surface level, the similarities are quite extreme you're like that's the same thing but when you look into everything and all these elements a bit deeper you realize they actually are quite different but on a surface level they look extremely similar
0: yeah that's what i was going to say we, we made a bit of a list going through it as to um what actually they are and i will give it to her we are just being picky um and they are absolutely surface level superficial stuff but i think that there's two or three traits in there where they're so similar that it's like, yeah, come on, all right, come on now. This this is ripped off.
1: I don't think it would be unfair to say that she was absolutely heavily inspired. Heavily influenced. And, yeah, heavily influenced by Tolkien. Absolutely. Like, there's no way you can say that just by there are far too many things that we listed for it to just be coincidence.
0: See, George R. R. Martin wrote Game of Thrones series. Well, he started those in the mid-90s, before Harry Potter was released, and obviously after Tolkien. And again, that's a very big mythical fantasy series that he wrote. And some things are taken from it, but he generally did something really quite original with the Game of Thrones series, mm. and it didn't have so many overlapping traits. Um, and obviously Harry Potter does as well. Oh, Harry Potter's building its own world. But I, th- I think she definitely was more inspired by a lot well, of Well, and took
1: things. a lot of things and just put her on spin on it. I'd like to actually get into that list Or now.
0: modernized it.
1: Yeah. Should I just go through as we wrote it, like in the order sure, that we wrote r- it? Okay.
0: Read out what you got.
1: Okay. So first of all is Gandalf and Dumbledore, which we talked about before. Yep. And they look very similar. Um
0: That's just your classic wizard look though. That's why. Like any yeah. depiction of Merlin the wizard, you know?
1: Even um Saruman looks very similar to Gandalf. Yeah. So yeah, fair enough. You've got a pair of mischievous characters who are Merry and Pippin and Fred and George, who one set actually are twins and the other could very well be twins, which I think is interesting. I think interesting. they're
0: cousins. Okay. Yeah, they're just the comic relief, really.
1: And I think it's very interesting how in the beginning of The Lord of the Rings, they set off Fireworks Dragon, a magical Fireworks Dragon. That happens exactly in, what is it, book...
0: Uh, five. Six? Order of the five. The okay. Because they do it to uh, for umbrage,
1: yeah, to get to this make horror. their exit. So your same characters, your mischievous characters, set off a magic firework dragon. You know what I mean? Like, well,
0: even there's a comparison between Samwise and Ron, or even Elijah Wood and Daniel Radcliffe. They always they get look mistaken. very
1: similar. They do. Yeah. So next is that the main characters, so Harry and Frodo, both live with their uncle because their parents died. Um, surface level not the end of the world there's an importance on historical swords so the sword of usildor right and the sword of gryffindor there are a lot more historical artifacts in harry potter that have significance but that's just one again that's more of a loose link but it's there one very very strong and probably the most Evident to anybody watching this is the similarities between the Nazgul and the Dementors. Yeah. They're pretty much, I mean, what they do is different, but they're pretty much exactly the same. You know what I mean? Dementors eat your soul to the point where you're just a shell of a person. And if you're attacked by a ringwraith, a Nazgul, you become a wraith yourself, a shell of a person you're caught between life and death. And they look incredibly similar
0: See, that's one of the ones where I think that's that's a little bit more than superficial. Like, that's Mm -hmm. pretty much a copied character. And I understand that they're obviously um, based off depictions of the Grim Reaper and death. And uh, J.K. Rowling has said that she was inspired by her depression periods. um, Mm -hmm. And these characters are meant to make you feel depressed. Like, you you feel bad for ever feeling good again or you don't believe that you'll ever feel happiness again. But that's very much what Nazgul are doing as well. Um, they bring that cold feeling to you. It's it's very much the same character.
1: Yeah, so that's one that I'd say probably that's probably the biggest one for me. Another is that you've got your bad guy having a sidekick. So in Harry Potter for Voldemort it's worm tail and for Sodomon it's worm tongue. And they look very Again. similar.
0: That's another one that's more than being super that's a more of a deep one because not only is the name similar and it's this slimy character that's the sidekick, he was originally the good guy and then he was betrayed and went to the bad side. Exactly. That's the deep part to it, where it's like, okay, you've got like three or four traits of this character that are the same.
1: Yeah, so it is and he's greasy and he's cowers a bit. Yeah. I think worm tongue is a bit more ballsy than worm tail ever was. Um, and the difference there, too, is that Wormtail to Voldemort would be more as Wormtongue to Sauron instead of Sauroman. But, I mean, it's not it's not so far-fetched. Um, another is the Pensive and the Mirror of Galadriel, which also is very similar to the Mirror of Erised in Harry Potter. So yeah, that's kind of two things drawn from one. So the Mirror of Galadriel is a bowl of water that you look into and you see what your future could hold and that's kind of similar like the pensive is a bowl of mist in which you look at your memories and the mirror of arisid is the mirror in which you look into it and see your heart's deepest desire
0: so it is but definitely a twist on the elements there but i can see an o- overlap of these mystical elements.
1: I can see how they, they definitely would have been inspired by Tolkien's yeah. Mirror of Galadriel. See,
0: I appreciate that. If that is inspired by the Mirror of Galadriel, it's a good take on it. Like, she's done yeah. her own thing with it. Yeah. And I I don't mind that as a series of copying, I guess. quote unquote.
1: Well, yeah, because it's not. It's it's like, it's not. I, you're doing I like your own this thing and I want to take this element. I want to do something else to it.
0: There's, there's obviously a lot of overlap with mythical creatures as well, which are obviously going to be evident in series like this. um, You've got the cave trolls, which is a big bumbling brutes of characters that are just sort of, like, used in battle. Uh, and then you've got the giant spiders.
1: The interesting thing here is that they made them look very similar. Yeah. Which Warner Brothers didn't necessarily have to do, you know what I mean? Um, But those characters do look very similar. Or those creatures, sorry. Yeah, you've got giant spiders.
0: The two creatures that are probably the most different are the elves and the house elves in Harry Potter. They're, like, not even the same. Yeah. Tolkien did something different with elf lore when he made those because elves, like, even just thinking about the elves in Santa's workshop, you know, and how they're depicted, they're more like Dobby the house elf. Mm -hmm. And Tolkien did something that I've never seen, I haven't personally seen elves depicted as these tall, human-like, immortal elegant classical characters before. So he really did something original there.
1: I think he did. I can't remember because I I am quite into mystical lore.
0: You would know more than me. And
1: I would have always thought of elves as similar to goblins and fairies, with yep. elves and goblins being just a little bit different, kind of like cousins of the same genus or something. Um, I really like what he did with elvish lore.
0: What else you got on your list?
1: Something, again, similar is there are forbidden forests. So I don't remember what the forest was called, but the forest surrounding Isengard. Right, yes. Giant moving trees.
0: Was it Mirkwood?
1: It might have been Mirkwood. I don't remember. But yeah, so just forests that you have to be wary of. You've got Harry's invisibility cloak and the one ring with the ability to give you invisibility in the real world. Yeah. You've got that aesthetic between what was that other woodland Elves name?
0: Oh, I forget.
1: Anyways, him or Legolas and Lucius Malfoy?
0: Yeah, I always think incredibly similar. Of him the same actor looks very yeah. similar. Um one of the elements that I think again is not superficial, like two actors looking the same, um is the fact that particularly in the Deathly Hallows when they've got the Horcrux around their neck. It has very similar traits to the one ring around Frodo's neck.
1: Yes, and there was a ring.
0: Yeah, there was. A ring
1: that killed Dumbledore's hand. I think think the thing they had around their neck, though, was actually the locket. Was it the locket? Yes,
0: but it brings out the dark side of you and makes you act like you're not yourself, and it's like there's such a burden that they have to keep passing between the characters as to not put it on one person or the other. And it has, like, really dark magic in it. That's very similar.
1: That's heavily influenced.
0: Because they have to, like, go on this journey to destroy this thing that's tormenting them. And that's exactly what happens in both of those series.
1: To touch more on that dark magic and the antagonists in both of these series, um, one you can look at for sure is how, not necessarily the spirit, but the essence of both Sauron and Voldemort endured and continued to exist because they put part of themselves into an object.
0: Yeah, in the Fellowship of the Ring, they definitely describe that, like, the Dark Lord is rising again and he's been in dormant for so long, but he's building an army and... I'm like, did they take this literally from one movie and put it in the other? Because there's a couple of lines there from the Wizards where you could close your eyes and think that you're in the other series. The way that it's worded about this Dark Lord rising again, and I'm like, well, that's very much a very deep element that's copied over.
1: You've got the juxtaposition of Gandalf to Saruman as Dumbledore was to Grindelwald in that they were very, very close at one time and they turned on each other.
0: I didn't even think of that one. That's a good one.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Saruman's switch to the dark side is similar to the Death Eaters coming out of hiding. That one for me isn't quite as strong because the Death Eaters had already claimed allegiance to Voldemort.
0: And I mentioned... In the Fellowship of the Ring episode, I'm not really sure what makes him change after all these years, That make that switch. Yeah. What was the turn of events that made the Lord of the Rings happen, you know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, that's really the whole list, and I think you can agree with us when I say that's a lot of things that are quite, quite similar.
0: There's, uh, like, we'll admit that a lot of them were just being nickpicky, but I, I still stick by the three or four I was of say... them there. It's like, all right, that's pretty similar.
1: And that's quite a few, you know what I mean? Like, three yeah. or four is quite a few.
0: I still really like them as, as a whole, and as a whole, they're very different series.
1: Oh, um, I had one but more. But it was just
0: interesting, a bit of overlap there.
1: I forgot, a big one. The Council of Elrond and the Fellowship of the Ring are very similar to the Order of the Phoenix and Dumbledore's Army.
0: Yeah, where they they create a group to try and go fight this evil force or whatever. Yeah,
1: No, um,
0: yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Anyways,
1: that's it. That's that's what I have to say about those similarities and I've been, you know, kind of bursting at the seams to, to share that list and I'd be curious to hear what other people have to say about it cuz I love having conversations about lore. I think fantasy fans in particular can get very very passionate just as sci-fi fans can. Um Oh yeah. Well, we you and I used to have lengthy conversations about Harry Potter when you were reading the books.
0: Because there's so many plot holes. Like, I know there's a lot of fanboys out there that think that it's, like, completely perfect. And I have read through the whole series. I was making a list to you being like, well, this doesn't add up and that doesn't add up. And it makes me feel better when J.K. Rowling gets on the Hopotamore website or on Twitter or something and also agrees that there's a lot of plot holes in it. Um, particularly in The Goblet of Fire, there's a lot. If I read through this series again, I'll do a whole bloody podcast on all the plot holes in it. But she said... Yeah, it's full of plot holes, but just enjoy it. Mm. Like, we, I, I couldn't write the story that I wanted to do unless it had these plot holes in it. So if you just turn a blind eye to it, you can still really enjoy it. And I can get behind that.
1: Which is what I did. Like, I've never been one much to ruffle feathers of...
0: Well, it didn't stop me from enjoying it.
1: Of an established... Yeah. Like, of an established plot line. Unless it's, like, really blaringly evident. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to say?
1: That's really all my points. Um, I think we touched on everything that we wanted to. Just, we didn't talk much about this movie because there's so much going on that it's hard to, you know?
0: Well, and because we covered so much on Lord of the Rings in the other two episodes, so you pretty much can get your Lord of the Rings fix between the three of these episodes, which is why I'm okay going on such a big tangent in this one, uh, comparing Harry Potter and such.
1: Otherwise, we're just repeating ourselves yeah we'll just be
0: retreading it and no one it it just gets boring where no one wants to listen to it so um that's our discussion on lord of the rings
1: cool thanks for joining us
0: we have been daniel and brenton this week thanks for joining us feel free to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts check us out on all the socials and comment on soundcloud and until next week thanks for listening